Hey everybody, Ruark here, welcoming you back to Watch Party Gaiman for our third Sandman episode, and uh, joined once again by Siobhan, David, Greg, and Samaria to introduce this one, Saima here as well. Yeah, this uh, we originally aired this one on the Wheel of Time podcast. Uh, this is going to be episodes five and six of Sandman, which was, uh, well, Greg, why don't you tell us what that was? Uh, there are two uh, of the wildest episodes. Uh, one was like straight psychological horror and the other is just cool. Yeah. <laughs> There's no other way to describe them. You get, you've got not really time travel, but you know, evolution through the ages plus Uh, I believe this is this is the episode we talked about cinnamon quite a bit. Uh, my my dear friend, who, yes. who was the inspiration for death in in the comics, uh, and and yeah, we, I got to there. We got to give a, a good send off to cinnamon there. Um, anybody else have some memories about this episode? It's the one with some mush. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, they all have mush <laughs> or sploosh or some you, some. Uh, <laughs> version of getting spread across the floor in a liquid fashion. Thank you. That can mean many things in the Gaiman universe. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you, Samaria. You, what were you saying? I said that is, you know, the audio like version of Squick. Like that's the, no earlier oh than gosh. that. You you I think you were saying it was your favorite episode. Oh yes, that too. Um <laughs> love sound of her wings. Um I you know, this episode, we see Morpheus, you know, coming home to his family in a different way than we have yet, where he's coming home to his, you know, home, his his land. Um, we are introduced to the dynamics in his family, um, implicitly and explicitly, which is really cool. And we have one of my favorite things in fiction ever, which is time travel. And it's probably the episode I keep rewatching over and over again the past couple of months. So well. love it. Good to know. Well, let's get right into it. Welcome to Watch Party Wheel of Time. I'm your host, Saima. And I'm your host, Ruark. And hello, panel. Hello, panel. Hello. We have David, not Greg. Strange New Worlds. Greg, not David. Hello there. Siobhan. Hey, everybody. And DW. Mork for Mork. <laughs> <laughs> that takes me back. Nano, nano. Gosh, I haven't seen Shazbat. that in so long. So, um, as Greg was just asking before we pressed uh, record, um, how far have we got? And we're like, ha, ah, not very far. So much for thinking. Maybe one or two episodes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah what, what we thought was going to be one, maybe two episodes about the Sandman is, is yeah, we have a lot to say. Yeah, I think that's good. I think it's good when we have a bunch of people who have a lot to say. And um, yeah. we're an opinionated bunch. About the content. So, yes. We're an opinionated and knowledgeable bunch. That, that <laughs> tends to make for a long conversation. True. <laughs> But I, but I am missing Axel. Speaking of opinionated and knowledgeable. <laughs> and long-winded. <laughs> but fun. Very fun. Oh, there's a reason we all love the Axel. The Axel. That should be a t-shirt. 
we need to start thinking about merchandise <laughs> for, for our show, you know, watch Barky Wheel of Time, go. the axle. Yes. You can't have a wheel without an axle. Hey, there you go. <laughs> I was going to say we could put out shirts of uh, each individual panelist and see who sells the most, but I'm not sure we want to get into that competition. Because <laughs> <laughs> Samaria would put us. Mario will win and I'll have a box of 55 of my own shirts hiding in the back. <laughs> I thought, Ruach, well, what you were going to say was we'd like kind of put it out there. Like, what what is it that we say the most? That would be interesting to hear. Like, <laughs> oh, each, each person gets a, a t-shirt with their catchphrase, yeah, as it were. Like, what is our individual catchphrase? So, oh wow, <laughs> I think that'd be. I think that'd be a question for the fans. Yeah, what, exactly. what phrase do they associate? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, we should put it out there, if, if any, if we were to create anything, um, you know, very 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 hypothetical here. What would it be? What would it say? Yeah. And uh, Siobhan, you brought up that I directly asked the fans who their favorite uh, <laughs> member was. And and I I have to say, I asked that question in the hopes that they would try to make the wriggle out answer, because I thought it would be funny to watch them try to wriggle out from under that. And then they, they all just went straight for it. And, and I was like, oh, well, all right. You, you, you do you. <laughs> oh, we have some uh, passionate and opinionated fans, too, who, you know, just want to share what they love. Yeah, it's great. Very much so. Um, and, and actually, before we get into the show, I, I just wanted to say I got a, a message from one of our fans uh, um, over over the, the holiday, and uh, it, it was a very, very sweet message uh, to me saying thank you for uh, creating this community and, and creating this, and, and, and they, they feel like they have a, a home here. And um, to that, I say thank you. Um, it, it you really did bring a tear to my eye. Um, and I know you said to be humble and take the, the thanks, but, uh, I'm, I'm going to say it's not just me. It's, it's, it's all of us and it's all of the fans too. It's yes. It's not about me. It's about the community and, and Agreed. yeah. So, so thank you for, yes, I, 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 I am the one that started this, but that doesn't mean I'm, I'm the center point. That just means I'm, I'm the point from which it began. Yep. So You're a spoke. <laughs> yeah, I'm just a, I'm just a spoke in this wheel. <laughs> so I'm I'm not nearly as important as an axle to a wheel. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, and, and and honestly that's not the first time I've I've received a message like that of somebody saying that they've they've found what feels like a home in this community. So that was what I was aiming to do from the start is create a, a community where, where people could feel included and, and I think we're there. I, I think I think it is we did awesome it. to hear. Yep. So so thank you to all of all of you right right there that I'm looking at on my computer right now. I love all of you and I love you for, for doing this. Oh thank love you, you for too, inviting man. us. We love you too. Thank you for roping us into this. This has been the best thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you for continuing to gently harass Some me. Some of us climbed in that lasso it. of our own accord. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, please, please lasso me. Yeah. <laughs> this is true. All right, now enough with the mushy stuff. On with the show. Mush, mush. Right. 
All right. About mushy stuff on Sandman. Yes. Oh, no. oh, oh shit. Yeah. That's the wrong, uh, kind, of, that's the wrong kind of mush. Okay. Oh, I. I well, in this one. Yes. Yeah. I actually forgot what this episode was about. This is going to be extra mushy for me. Oh, boy. All right. Yeah. Different kind. Of yeah. Mush. Let's, uh, Saima, go ahead and take it away. Okay. Let's mush on. Um, episode five. 24 <laughs> 7. <24/7. laughs> mush. <laughs> but the dog survived, we think. Remember a dog in this episode. Uh, well, we're mushing the, the dogs episode. on. <laughs> oh, right, right. Um, so before we before we get into the... The diner? Yeah. Well, it's, it starts straight off, doesn't it? And I just want to say, blink and you'll miss her, Rose Walker. And, um, you know, we haven't... Have we... I caught yes, it the second I, time. Oh, yeah. That's what I was going to say. I caught her on the mm-hmm. rewatch. Mm-hmm. And when I went in and looked at the comics, there is actually a passing mention of Rose in the exact same context. Right. She because gets they're home. all connected. She gets right? the phone That's call. the amazing thing yep. is that every character is somehow connected to, like, there's no six de- degrees of separation. It's just like one or two. Yeah. And everyone knows. It's so like a woven mm-hmm. pattern. Oh, there you go. Excellent. Oh. Gold star for <laughs> EW. <laughs> Getting in the what references. Keep bringing it back to the. Okay. <laughs> It's almost like, you know, he's remembering the, the title of our show. <laughs> the actual <laughs> the actual show we're supposed to be talking yeah. about. Yeah. But um but I, I love the fact that you know, people don't realise and people that haven't read the comics, so newbies, until they've watched the entire series, that we are just about getting into halfway point and we're not actually even in the main storyline of this season. And I love it. Right, this is all kind of set up yeah. for the the main storyline. Um, so, well, I I've really appreciated that uh, um, as a comic book reader, I appreciate that they really stuck with the episodic mm. comic bookness of it. Um, I mean, I I haven't read up to this far in the comics yet. I only read like the first three issues, I think. Um, but it, it seemed to be like kind of comic for comic lined up pretty well with, mm-hmm. with what came out in, in the comics and especially even with the next episode, which we're not going to talk about just yet, but how it was pretty much a standalone, which you get in comics, you know, a lot of times you'll have a big long arc and then you'll get one or two standalone issues to just kind of like cleanse the palate and then move on to another big arc. And that's, and they did that exactly with this yeah. show. And, and as a comic reader, I, I felt that and I noticed it and it, it just, it felt right. So yeah, I, I, Big props to to them on that, and I think that's definitely Neil Gaiman's doing. Yes. Well, and my compliments to them on on the setup, because anytime you're doing, you know, at the beginning of a story, you need either the origin or the all the exposition that helps ke- like create the the story you're going to be invested in. And here you have a character who's timeless, so you can't do an origin story <laughs> without really boring the heck out of everybody. And you can't really do a a montage or anything like that. It wouldn't have been as good. So this idea of starting off where he's finally like him getting captured and getting freed and then having to get his things, it redefined relationships. It showed existing relationships by showing how they've changed. Yeah. It, like, it introduced people in a way. It was a really ingenious way to kick off a series. Yeah. We have a uh, first episode. This is John D, the baby, the unwanted baby, and now he, he here he is in all his mushy glory. What do we think? 
in their pajamas. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say straight out, and I know I'm probably in the minority in this. And Greg is now in in Australia. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to adjust the to, video, yeah. and it's just not working. Yeah, uh, say say hi to Koalas and I while you're down there, will you? <laughs> um, and speaking of which, I think that's a good time to bring up. We've got our fundraiser still going on for Koalas and I. So if you want to uh, donate to that, we're trying to raise a thousand dollars to help Koalas and I with her Koala Sanctuary. Uh, we'll have the link to that donation point in in the show notes, and uh, if we hit that thousand dollar mark, we're going to release a very embarrassing video of me. So it's it's worth it to help the koalas and to publicly embarrass me. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but back to what I was trying to say before Greg decided to visit Australia. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what I was about to say, and I know I'm in the minority in this, is. Uh, uh, I really, really like the character of John D. He's definitely more sympathetic mm. in the TV show. You you see that there's at heart a good person who has got fixated on this idea of people being liars and wants to fix it. And he yeah. talks about wanting to create a better world where people don't do this terrible thing that he obviously has some trauma around. In the comic books... He, he 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 explicitly says he's bringing about the end of the world. And at one point, um, the people in the diner say, why are you doing this to us? And he says, because, because I can't. He's, he's a much more straight-up evil character. In the show, you have, you, you have this sympathy for a man who's, who's obviously like, been through some trauma and now is broken by this thing that's affecting his mind. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, that's exactly why I, I love this character. Yeah, he I, I didn't realize it was a different take than in the comic. As I said, I hadn't read that far in the comics yet. But uh, the the character in the show, like you said, he's he's got this sympathetic level. He, you, you really feel that trauma that he went through and how that trauma has affected him and his view of the world and how he's trying to make it better. You know, he... It, it's the the what we've talked about before. The best villains think they're the heroes, and in this case, he really is trying to make the world what he sees as a better place. And and it's you know unfortunately through the lens of his trauma, it makes it a much worse place. But yeah, I, I it, it's such an involved and, and interesting character. I I I just I I have to enjoy it a lot. Uh, D.W. Go ahead. Well, and his, his feelings on Dream and and. Uh... How how he wants to undo him because you know the torture that that can cause and it, the the car ride there was just so developing for your your emotional investment in John D. I think like that really it opened up a flower that I don't think we got in the comic. Well, and honestly, I think they really set that up because they they show you his conversation with Ethel and and really where the distaste of lies come in but i think where dw says his car ride i think that solidified it for him i don't know that he decided that that was his mission yet but then he meets this person who isn't a liar or he perceives to not have lied most of the time and a good person and sees that with lying you're not a good person Without lying, you are a good person, and then decides to make that his mission with the ruby. And they even have that conversation in the car where uh, she tells him, 
you know, her ex had a whole other family. And she says, I think lying is about the worst thing you can do to another person. Yeah, I don't think he decided yet, but that's. Yeah, you can see that really cements the concept in his mind. This is what he's going to do to change things. So I I agree with the, the, the fact that you empathize with him because you can see where his trauma is stemming from, right? As a child who doesn't know about his father, who knows that his mother is lying to him, even if she's doing it for the for good intentions, he knows that he's been lied to. And then not knowing about your past, your origins, you know, the, the hole that that can leave. So you get that. That really comes across really strongly. But what I think about John, and, and, I, and I like that you brought up, Siobhan, the, the conversation with Rosemary in the car, is John thinks that he's the only honest person. And therefore that gives him the right to create this new world to get rid of you know all who lie who deceive but i think he's the biggest deceiver because he doesn't actually care about honesty but pain and i think that this is the reason why he let rosemary go because she she seems quite she seems really pure in that she kind of sees to his core because she says that the reason why people lie no she said that she says that People don't care about honesty, they, 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 they care about pain, and that's why people lie. And I think that's why he let her go, because she, she touched upon something that was quite deep, kind of core to him. And what he's doing throughout that entire episode is that he doesn't care about people being honest. He's inflicting pain. And I think it's this, you know, when people, this kind of psychopathic, you know, I'm trying to do the right thing. But actually, it's about fulfilling this perverse need of trying to cover up their own pain. Oh, it's for a noble reason. But actually, I'm in pain and I want to inflict pain. And that is what I'm actually enjoying. But I can't say that because that that doesn't seem like a noble reason for killing the whole world. I don't know if any of that made sense. That's that's where I, I kind of kind of that hit me with that, especially with, when I rewatched it with Rosemary. There was something in his face that was like, that's when he decided I'm not going to kill you because you've said something that is beyond honesty. Like you've got to the core of the reason, like I'm looking for pain because I'm in pain, but I'm wanting to inflict pain. And it's not really about these. Well, that and, and you felt pain. You felt pain. These other people are living their life in these lies and they're avoiding pain. You felt it. So I'm going to let you live. These people, I'm going to make sure they feel the pain they're trying to avoid with mm-hmm. the lies. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, a nice change from the from the, the source book. Um being a DC nerd, uh Rourke, you might uh you might be interested to learn that the uh the hospital he escapes from is Arkham. Oh, is it? In the comic. And Interesting. he is actually Doctor Destiny, John D. Oh, that's, oh, that's, that's right. Character. He runs into the scarecrow on his way out. There's actually a bunch yes. of DC characters because the ruby is hidden in uh, Justice League storage, yeah, mm-hmm. or something. Oh. We get some of the Justice League, to, don't we? In a yeah, in a panel, yeah. 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 Oh. He, there's actually an interesting scene where he goes. He's he's trying to find out from past members of the Justice League where the the ruby is stored, and he meets um, John Jones, the Martian. Yeah, um, oh. mm-hmm. and appears to him as a Martian, as the Martian. How the Martian Manhunter himself, yeah. Appeared at... Um, oh, like an actual Green Martian. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, they well they he appears as they envision dream to look, which is like oh. this giant flaming skull. <laughs> you know? Oh wow. So it's yeah, it's pretty cool when you get to that. Yeah, I, I was thinking about it the other day because I am such a, a DC hyper fanatic that I don't know why I didn't read the the Sandman books until or didn't even look, pick them up until the, the show came out and we decided to do this. And I think it's it's just because of the the local connection to it. it, it like the local people to me are are so into Sandman that I had a knee jerk reaction against it. Almost um, just just, you know, when everybody else is really into something, I don't want to be into it because that's not cool. Yeah, I want to find something cool. <laughs> I was not into it before it was not cool. <laughs> but I, I I I like what you say, Ruark, but I'm kind of I'm hearing it differently. Like not that you because it was you didn't want to get into it because everyone else is into it, but I almost feel like because you were in you were almost in it, right? Like everybody yeah. around you was inspired, but you know, like you were character, you know, you Yeah, like like one of the it. creators was yeah. part of that community and, yeah. and like so when you're, you know, when you're I, I, it, I was you somewhat know? friends. Uh, well, I wouldn't say friends. I, I I knew who he was. You know, I'd seen him a few places, but I didn't want to be that person. Like, oh my god, you're the guy who's saying about Sandman, and um, we we won't get into it much until the next until this next episode that we're going to talk about. But uh, knowing Cinnamon, who was the 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 uh, inspiration for Death, um, I wanted to know her as Cinnamon, so. I actually avoided the, the, after I got to know her, I actually avoided the comics because I did not want to see her as death. I wanted to see her as cinnamon because she was my friend. If that makes sense. Cause I, 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 sense to me. I, I, I saw oh, yeah. a bunch of other people in the, in the scene who were like, Oh my God, you're death. Like, you know, and just like kind of do this fan thing. And I'm just like, no, you're fucking cinnamon, you know? And yeah. So that was another reason I think I avoided it for a long time. So back to the episode. <laughs> hey, at least this digression was about Sandman. There's no mild segueing for me. Yeah, I know, but I was going to say, I'm not like Ruark, like kind of just like, you know, finding a way. I'm just going to be like, just really obvious, like back to the episode. <laughs> um, so back at the Hall of Justice. <laughs> I haven't made a lot of notes about this episode because, full disclosure, when I rewatched the show, I didn't actually watch this episode. Like the, I, I can understand yeah. that. It's, yeah. it's a little it's hard going, man. Yeah. And, and having said that, you know, as I've said before, this was this is pretty mild compared to the comics. Um, but I just realized that there's certain bits that even if I'm watching it, I've got the comic panels in my head. Like for some reason, there are certain things that just kind of imprinted on my brain. Um, so I did kind of, there were certain bits that I forwarded to, looked at, um, especially when the, the fates turn up, turn up, but otherwise, um, the beginning and the end, and I was going to let you all speak about the middle, but there was another point that I had, um, written down again, connected to, to John and dream that, and I can't remember how it was connected, but I'm going to put it out there and somebody else might be able to find the connection is that dreams robbed of hope equal pain. And mm. seems to be what John is doing. Right, the, the ruby gives him a certain amount of power. He doesn't know exactly who Dream is, what powers Dream has, but he's manifesting some of those. And I was even wondering, like, subconsciously, that's what he's doing. He's taking away hope from people and their dreams, and then all that's left behind 
is is pain. And again, I feel like that's what he embodies. So. Well, it seems to be the only truth he's stripping from them. He's, I mean, there's lies that he's stripping from them. He's stripping them of the lies that allow them to believe something is possible above where they are. And not just lies of people like misleading them, but just specifically the thing of, oh, you think that's how it is? No, it isn't. And here I'm going to let you see how it really is. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you can make the argument that truth is pain. You know, the, the, that's kind of the <clears throat> that seems to be kind of the direction that he's going. Uh, he believes that truth is not necessarily about honesty and reality, but truth is pain. And that's what he's manifesting. But he, he also even attacks just like the, one of the first ones he attacks is she calls him handsome. Mm-hmm. You don't think I'm handsome. Right. And like that's an interesting one to go for because that was one, in all honesty, of her trying to make him feel better, mm-hmm. trying to ease pain of him being old or whatever, That which a lot of people do in the service industry is they are very complimentary to the person that they're talking to to make them feel good. But it is a false sense of feeling good and the pain and reality that they would feel if they just if you treated them how, you know, they think they should be treated based on self-hate. Right. You know, if you do that, you're never going to get tips. <laughs> I think I think Simon's on to something where the only lies that he's stripping away are the ones that involve hope and feeling better about your situation. Because there's lots of lies that he is leaving completely intact. Like you see a married couple who are both, you know, telling the lie that their partner doesn't love them or or you know doesn't want to be with them and and i think those nasty things that that we say about ourselves are also lies but he's not messing with those ones he's leaving those ones well it makes sense because the episode before hope is what wins the battle with the devil and so that leads right into this episode and the way this whole thing links up together that would make sense Thank you, David. You just reminded me why I had this note down, because obviously the main theme, one of the main themes is hope. <laughs> and I was like, thinking, yeah. I wrote this down. Why did I write this down? It's been weeks since I wrote it. I don't remember. So, yeah, exactly. Um, and also, like, just coming back to what DW said about, you know, uh, is it, it's Betty, isn't it? There is also, you know, OK, fine. On one hand, there is this um, trying to be nice, right? And uh, being nice, you get the tips. But I, with Betty, I feel like, that is just how she sees the world, you know, rightly or wrongly, whatever blinkers you want to put on. That's not a, that's not a bad way to want to live, kind of exist in the world, especially when you're struggling, that you are genuinely just seeing the best of every person that you come across. And I think to, with her, that's the innocence. That's her innocence that he kind of, he can't bear. He can't bear that kind of hopeful innocence. And then I think Dream brings it back at the, at the end when, you know, he, he says he, you, you see that flashback and Dream's talking while he gives a different perspective. While John saw the lies, um, Dream says that this is how they, that this is the hope. They have hope, right? So Betty's thinking that she's going to do her novel, but her son's come home. And actually, she's quite happy that her son's come back home because she was feeling lonely. That's not a bad thing. That's not lying. She's not lying in any sense. Right. So. Totally agree. Just things kind of turned out different and things are look like they're turning out different with the uh with the cook that she has a crush on 
there's a there's a scene where she tells John D that she gives all her stories happy endings. And in the end, when he wants her to suffer, he shows her burning her stories. Well, she's it's it's an interesting aspect that he approached the whole situation starting with the Pollyanna type character. Mm-hmm. The positive, everything's wonderful. I see I like her saying somebody's handsome. She honestly may believe that she's looking at their spirit. She's looking at their like they are a handsome being. She's not interested in them sexually, but she's interested in them as a person. And there's a draw to each person. Like that seems how she seems to see every one of her customers. Yeah, it's not necessarily it's not necessarily lying, it's naivete. Because if yeah. she could truly see who John D. really was, there's no way she'd call him handsome. Which yeah. is also why she tries to set everybody up, is because she always sees a relationship somewhere that it may or may not exist. And it, and it is, it's a bit of hope. She hopes she gives that first opportunity to everybody to be the beautiful person she thinks they are. And let them prove her wrong. Yeah, I agree. The, the naivete is, is ultimately... You know, the, the Pollyanna naivete is, is hope. It is the definition of hope. I, I did find it interesting that she's the one that first figured out that John Dee is the one who was controlling them. So not as naive as... Because I was going to say that I think there's a difference between naivety and innocence. Innocence can also have a lot of experience, right? And you can have experienced a lot of That's darkness true. to still keep that innocence. Whereas naivety, I think there's a, there's a, a lack of experience maybe. And actually, Siobhan, I wanted to ask you the where she burns her stories. Was that in the series or was that in the comics that you're referring to? Was it was in also series. in the series. series yeah. Okay. He, he basically tells everyone that um, I'm trying to remember exactly how the sequence went. Uh, basically, they confronted him and he said, "You're so happy in your lies that um, you know you want to embrace your own suffering. So go for it." And so people start hurting themselves that's probably um, what i was slightly squinting in extremely difficult ways to watch but <laughs> yeah. what yes, she does is she burns it's her story during john's monologue mm. yeah right. so i so i love the fact that you've brought that up because now it's making me connect to calliope right the rewriting of your stories or burning your stories or mm-hmm. saying that you can't have a happy ending well who says john says because john wants pain right but that's right. not the human experience the human experience can capture both sides of that but he's only focusing on one side whereas dream in his manifestation, he sees the dream and the nightmare, right? It's all in balance. Yeah. <laughs> See <Yeah>. you, DW. <laughs> a little bit of this, a little yeah. bit of that. Got to keep him yeah. in balance. I, I'm with you now, Simon, because he sits down and he starts like enjoying ice cream and watching mm. the TV and the havoc happen and, and like sees joy in that. So I agree. Yeah, it's probably the pain that's driving him on this one but actually this makes it even harder like his his character in the show is even harder than to really witness because in the comics he's he does seem quite he's quite one-dimensional right like Sean was saying that right but here you because you're empathizing and then you're also witnessing how dark he can go this is the well the genius i suppose of sandman the characters it, it you you see both sides and it's difficult to kind of really reconcile dw I actually am curious, was there a second, I know of one, but was there more than one instance that showed the looping that was going on too? 
Oh, because in the comic book, there's several times where people get up to leave. Mm. They're like, oh, yeah. I got to get going. And then they kind of stop. But in this, I think there was around. only the one. They got up to leave, then they got the table and they sat down again. But I think it was the only one. Or was yeah. there There more? was a couple. Yeah. I think there was like two times where okay. someone goes through the door and gets stopped in their tracks. Winds right back up where they were. Or maybe the like the couple ends up coming back in after the fact. Yeah, it, they come in as if it was the first time and they start repeating the conversation. Yeah, that was almost like a time loop as opposed to a... But that's what I mean. There was Were there any more time loop things? Because I know the comic had a couple. I think that was the only one actual time loop. Like, we didn't see the chef arrive again. We didn't see the guy arrive, like try to leave and then come back in with those lines. I don't think we saw that ever with any of the other characters. Right. Yeah, I think no, they were I think they tried to center the narrative around that couple, and so that's probably why they chose to just do it with that one only. Right. If it, if it keeps getting repetitive, then that becomes its its own plot point. That this that was just sort of a background thing to uh, to just establish that he's that John is warping this time reality around this, and that they can't just leave right around this diner. You can also see that with the uh, with the weather reports in the background about how all this mayhem is happening outside. And it's like, well, best to stay here. But that is a time loop, though, because they mentioned the car crash like two or three times. And it's it's almost like a new news report. It's not the same one. So I think there there is a few okay, other. There's another aspect of it. Yeah. How do you think um, I can't again? because I didn't go back and watch it in detail. Um, how does he summon the fates? How does that happen? Was that just his power through the ruby? Like, how would he, how did he, how did he summon them? Because then they, they, they take the bodies of the three women. And they I give him answers. I don't think he summons them. I think he just walks in, he just walks into the freezer and it happens. And they kind of, they do that again in the doll's house portion where Rose just kind of walks into a closet and they're there. So I don't think they show them being summoned except so when they're, Dream they're does the ones the choosing to kind of connect. Yeah. My feeling on that was they kind of like felt that, you know, things were not going the way they were supposed to and felt that tug and went to go check in on what's going on and run into John D remaking reality and are like, oh, yeah, that's that's not going to fly. It's also a device to get Dream there. Yeah. So when Dream does arrive, which Blooming Neck takes some time. Um, <laughs> so Dream takes John into, into his dreams, right? And that is John's fear. He takes him to the place where he's fearful and you, and you see all these, you know, he's back, he's back at, I'm, I'm again, I'm going to call it Burgess Hall because I can't remember what it's called. I think it's probably called Burgess Hall. He, he ends up, he's obviously never been there. He won't have, he might have seen pictures if he actually ended up finding, you know, he, I think the episode before he says to Ethel that my name is actually John Burgess. So he knows that Burgess was his father. And we see Ethel as young and this kind of weird relationship that he has with his mother. Um, and I just thought it was really, it was really fascinating and powerful and also really scary because that, 
after everything that John does, which is very out, out, outer, right? And he's controlling other people and manipula manipulating their dreams, that that's where his, his fear resides, is in his dreams. And that's where dream takes him. Or Morpheus, should I say? Dreams, Morpheus. Or, or is that just where he feels more comfortable and he can control things better? Well, that, that was kind of part of what I was thinking is, how well does the ruby work within dream? Well, John's not asleep. And Dream is able to take him into his realm, perhaps through his but power. But is, is that a safe thing? Like, is that also help Dream in his in his process of trying to retrieve the ruby to take him to a place where John is not able to use the ruby as well? Yeah, I would think so. I would think I would think that's why why Dream did that. But he didn't. He does use and the I ruby also though. get the vibe that John John didn't just want to destroy Dream. I think to a certain extent he wanted to be Dream. He mm -hmm. he felt he could do it better, and this is what I'm going to do, and I will use what Dream didn't do and save or fix humanity. And Dream kind of like, let's go face some of your demons before you try to do my job. Well, he says as much <laughs> because he's trying to absorb him at that point, not destroy him necessarily. Exactly. But he didn't know that he could do that until the fates tell him or suggested it. Mm. Manipulating the pattern. It totally tripped my wife up because when the fate said that uh, that uh, Dream would be crushed in his hands, and she's like, "Oh no, is Dream gonna die here?" Like, oh no! But exactly, exactly what they say will happen, hun. Just watch. And I wanted to bring up that imagery because I'm going to guess that that imagery was straight out of the comic book. Was it uh, with with the the giant with hand, dream, the giant yeah. hand yeah. with John yes. in the middle. Yeah. Oh, okay, yes. yeah, because yeah. that very much felt like mm. comic book art, yeah. and and I really enjoyed that. Um, and another thing about this episode that I really enjoyed, just from a a generic comics perspective, is the the casting. Um, the casting in this episode, I actually made a mention of it while we were watching the episode. I was like, these people feel like they were drawn by Sam Keith mm -hmm. because Sam Keith, the re the reason he is one of my absolute favorite comic artists is his, his people have such different, uh, such, such expressiveness to them. And they're also very different from each other. They, they, you can identify a character at a glance because they all have such radically different looks, but they're still so expressive. And that's how I felt the, the cast in this episode was like radically different looks to, to all of them, not just, you know, hair color or, or skin tone or body size or anything, but like, you know, length of nose and set of eyes and, and lips and mouths and, and jawlines and like everything, like everybody just had a very unique look to them. And it, it, it felt very comic book arty in, in my, in, deep in my heart. And I loved that. I feel like that was a, a very intentional thing that they did in the casting. Well, from a production standpoint, and I would imagine also the comic book standpoint, when you're flashing around imagery and you're going to be showing people and in, in like almost distorted ways, the more distinct you can make to each person, any distortion happens, you still know it's that person. Right. And that yeah. that's going to help that, that picture. If I can, in a glance, like you were saying, no, oh, that's, that's the chef. Even though you only saw like his eye and his ear, those eyes, those ears are so distinctive that in that moment, you know, who's in that panel, you know, who's in that scene. Yeah, when you're dealing with a horror scape like that, where you've got to 
do quick flashes so it's not too graphic. you got to be able to identify them fast. Plus the darkness in general. Yeah, yeah. I just remember the comic panels, the way they were drawn, like really intensified the horror of what was going on as well. Like I, I now I can't wait to get to that issue. Yeah. You might be the only yeah, person who I can't know. wait to get <laughs> to that. Well, I, I will probably, I will probably regret that once I read the issue. But at this point, being a comic art enthusiast, I can't wait to get to that. Okay, issue. When, when you do, let us know because I really want to, I really okay. want to know, uh, hear your 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 thoughts because you've you've seen the the episode first and then you're going to read. Yeah the horror i want to kind of see how that well i'll I'll put it this way i've i've read the walking dead from beginning to end so i doubt there's anything in that comic that's going to be more shocking than some of the stuff that's been in the walking dead fair enough Yeah. yeah so we haven't talked about it yet but i really noticed it on my second watch through dreams theme his music for this show Mm. i love it Mm. and especially at the end of the diner scene where he starts his monologue about hope and you get just this bright spotlight and you get the the swell of his theme it just hit hard emotionally Mm. and there's there's spots um where they kind of manipulate it too where, where dreams having issues with his his thoughts and emotions and they kind of go to like a bluesy type version of it and it was just handled really, really well. And also, when Dream, when the ruby shattered, you get this kind of swell. And Dream almost, when he reabsorbs this massive power that he'd forgotten, like how much he'd actually yeah. put, you know, every, every he, time. Yeah, but but especially with the ruby, because this is um, this is a culmination, right? You all, almost get a more you get a slightly softer, more compassionate dream now that he's whole, right? So I, I kind of got this this feeling that over you know the millennia of kind of storing his power in his tools and not having them himself, he'd become a little bit harder, maybe a little bit more kind of you know a bit more brittle, and then having reabsorbing his power. And you're right, it's that you know that's that swell of music, and even as, as a giant, he appears soft and compassionate and he's like you know thank you john i would never have thought about destroying my tools to regain my power and this is a really big like in comparison to other storylines that you know that come and will come in future seasons that i wonder if he hadn't absorbed his power whether he would have had so much compassion toward john because if you see with rachel right it's constantine that has to say what the hell right like Mm-hmm. You, it's because of you that she's in this state, so do something. And in hell, you know, he doesn't, I mean, Corazon doesn't really matter. It's more about him, between him and Lucifer. But here it's like this reabsorption of his power is like, oh, at now I really see the damage that my power did. Like he knows about it because that's the reason why he's out there protecting humankind. But to see this one human, human that really suffered through having access to this unfettered power he becomes really compassionate. And I think that kind of that whole, you know, giant dream with John in his hand, there's a kind of mother-child symbology there that I was also seeing and dream kind of coming into this next stage of, of, of who he's going to be in the comics or in the show. Especially when you see him laying John back on his bed. Yes. 
Like the whole way he lays mm-hmm. him out, it is very almost maternal. Yeah, tender. Mm-hmm. <sighs> well, that was a nice ending. <laughs> a nice ending to a pretty harrowing episode. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know if we have any more thoughts about this episode. I just, uh, my, my final note on this episode is first look desire. Oh, oh yes. yes. <laughs> you know when I was um, when I was doing the image for the for the uh, for the marketing for the first episode, I was just like couldn't think of like what what was it we discussed, and I was just like, well, it was just a thirsty one, wasn't it? So I just called it a little yeah. thirsty. So yeah, more of- no, I, I like say. that. It, it worked out well. Yeah. I gotta say, this is the first time I've ever watched a TV or movie adaptation that was actually as gay as the haters have been complaining about. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's not right, Siobhan, because everyone that's complaining is like, excuse me, did you read the comics? This is exactly what the yeah. comics is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's nothing extra about this. <laughs> So, Axel, I hear that even you found something on the Forecast Boutique website that you enjoy. Uh, you want to tell us what that is? So, on the book page art prints, they have some fantastic Lord of the Rings pages, which I think would make a great dartboards. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Love it. And for the people who want to get their anti-Tolkien target practice in as well, where can they go? Uh, you can find these on Etsy at 4Cats Boutique. That's the number four, cats with a K, 4Cats Boutique. Episode six, The Sound of Her Wings. My favorite. Love it. I loved this episode. It was, um, I mean, it's one episode that encompasses two chapters like two books in the comic series right it's um, uh, and I issue just, 13 and issue nine i believe i just love the way they were woven together and i yes. love the fact that you have one story that is about the nature of death and um you know the 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 purpose of life and existence and then flirting through history. Like, <laughs> I just yes. thought the way well, they were married was the, really The really joys awesome. of living, really, because yeah, yeah. Ulti- ultimately, Hobb would not be doing that if he didn't find joy in living. So, and it was good palate cleanser, really. And you oh, yeah. definitely yeah, good, good placement. episode of episode yeah. five. And, and then you just get this wonderful, just hearty, feely fun light episode to move us along in the story not make us want to just well as light as can be considering death is one of the main characters uh (laughs) but she is light that's the point though right (laughs) i said that in our in our first episode as we started covering this i love the fact that death was such a warm greeting hand holding like look this needs to happen I'm just helping the transition. It it tripped. My daughter was watching it with me on the second time through. She's like, she was going through, oh, who is this? And no, it can't be death. It can't be. And I'm like, "Mm, (laughs) well, 
And that's when she finds like, oh, it is death. And she's sweet and nice and kind. Whoa, mind blown. <laughs> yeah, this was the one that I was nervous. I was like, I was nervous because so death and delirium are my favorites. And I, I know, you know, I've seen Kirby Hall Baptiste and other things, but it was just like, oh, this is this is death. And, you know, I've been avoiding all the online betrayal over obviously the fact that she doesn't look like the comic death. But I was just like, oh, is she going to capture it? And and, and she did. I want to I want to say something about that online vitriol about the fact that she doesn't look like the comic book death, because I knew the person the comic book death was based on. Her name was Cinnamon Hadley. She was an amazing human being. And she would have been the first one to applaud the casting of Death. Mm-hmm. She would have loved that casting and and wished her the best. So I don't want to hear any of that bullshit from anyone. Agreed. Yep. Um, I also I I run with the vibe for that particular character, which is one of the ones I feel was a brilliant choice for adding diversity because. To a certain extent, death is seen by each person as what yeah, right. will comfort them. What will like it isn't it isn't about the physicality of it. And so for the sake of making a show seem more inclusive, not just seem, but actually be more inclusive, I think it was a brilliant well, choice of where to add it. To me, I can say that that um I was really, really, really super concerned about what their casting for death was going to be because for those of us who knew Cinnamon, it was, you know, it was kind of a weird thing to know that we were going to see this this doppelganger on, on screen. And um, <laughs> the fact that they they went away from the, the comic book look and, and chose a, 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 a totally different look for her. I mean, not completely different. The clothing style is the same, but, you know, she doesn't have the same makeup. She doesn't have the same hair. She doesn't have the same skin tone. And I think that was... That was a good thing because there was no way they were going to be able to to uh, honor Cinnamon by trying to make it look like her. It, it, it would have just it would have been weird. It would have been for those of us who knew her, it would have been very weird. And I was very happy to see it it done the way it was done. Well, ultimately, the look of the character nice. is not the point. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. As you were saying, yeah. it it's the the tenderness and the the love and the caring and being there for someone in that moment oh yeah Yeah, i was gonna say quite apart from her appearance i mean she knocked the role out of the park as far as i'm Mm -hmm. concerned she came across as someone who was completely compassionate she saw the good in every single person she you know escorted and and she worked i loved that moment when she made the comment of like how many of them do you see? I try to see right. everyone. Yeah. I try to help each person. How many do you dream? How many do you actually go and personally interact with? I try to see every single one of them. Yeah. And she's the one that really explains, right, that their pu- their purpose is their fulfillment. Our purpose is our function. And it's not just fulfillment, but it's service, right? She she kind of she's the representation. She gives the the newbies the understanding of what why the endless exist you know why they they be right because they are their function and ultimately mm-hmm. the fact that they wove in i think they said it twice in the episode that it's about service and it gives a different perspective also then to what dream does so then you kind of like after this point you're looking at what dream's doing and you're like okay 
he's meant to be serving. How is he doing that? You know, right. is he fulfilling it, it in even, the best way? Even shoves that down uh, Desire's throat later yes. when he goes to confront them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How is Desire? Yeah, I mean that. Yeah. It's a real. It's a real yeah. point of growth, uh, and partially necessary because, well, you know, he's been stuck in a in a glass bowl for a hundred years. So, you know, he's having to relearn his purpose and it's this great gentle reintroduction to his own purpose that is just well done. And she also embodies joy. That's what she brings, right? That, that for me, that was what I was like, I was nervous about is, is the actor going to be able to embody the joy of death? That's what makes her so special and lovable, you know, and so iconic. And I think beyond what 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 she looks like, it was capturing that. But also kind of coming back to Ruark's point, um, I don't know whether this was a deliberate reason, but I almost feel like I'd lo- I love the idea that they decided to honor Cinnamon by not having try- trying to have somebody who would be a poor version of her, right? And also, right. it's not just because they decided to do that, but it totally goes with the canon of the story because all of the endless, they all appear different to the to the creation that's viewing them. Right. So there is no fixed, this is what they look like, you know? Right. So And they got exactly. the best actor for the role. Yeah. I mean, uh, I thought she was absolutely fantastic. She really helps Dream come to grips with what the humans had done to him during his entrapment. Like the fact that human beings are flawed, but they aren't always acting for nefarious or evil reasons. It's just kind of their existence and their reality. And that because they serve them, it still has to be that they have to balance and, and be okay with both of their realities as they are. The point that was made earlier about uh, Dream once he reabsorbed the ruby kind of of getting more in touch with, with his, his emotions and, and being more compassionate, I feel like that was a direct lead-in to this episode. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, he suddenly regained his compassion and kind of went, oh, oh, that's, that's, that's a little intense. Mm-hmm. I need to go temper this somehow. And, you know, so he went to talk to his sister who is the most kind, caring, compassionate person he knows to be like, ah, help. It hurts. Yeah. Oh, nice. I like that because it's also, uh, that makes kind of leads into the reasoning there. Cause the fact that he's kind of got back in touch with these emotions that he was, you know, he kind of compartmentalized is also then that this is the moment where he actually reaches out to her because as everyone, you know, as people, we, as, as readers, we know, but also newbies, during those hundred years, at any point, he could have called upon any one of his siblings, right? But it was his pride that was preventing him. And, you know, she out of all of them knows him well enough to be like, okay, I'll come when you want me. But until then, I'm doing my, I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I do. You know, there were plenty of people that died at Burgess Hall and death was there, right? She wasn't going to interfere yep. with her brother's She uh, knew plans. where he was. Yeah. yeah. They all knew. And he says that as well, right? But it's like, no, like, if, what? Everybody does their own thing, and when they need somebody else, they will call out to you. But everyone respects everyone's spheres of function, and I, so I love that Roark. That the fact this is this is when he finally says, "Hey sis, want to go to the park?" <laughs> well, that 
blast of feelings really destroyed his moral compass or what he thought was a moral compass beforehand. And that's, that's kind of why he ends up in the depression that he's in is, and he feeding tells her, pigeons. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just, I don't, I don't know what to do next because I, I, I don't know who I am anymore. When it's also trying to figure out your current role in the world because he's been gone so long and relationships have changed and reactions to things have changed. And now you're re-inter- being re-interjected into the world. You've seen what happened while you were gone. And it's like, oh, geez, where where do I fit now? What does this world have need of me? Or, you know, all of that going through his head. And yeah, she did a beautiful job of kind of like, you know what, you know. And I really love that they made it feel like a true family dynamic. Like she called him an idiot, like any yeah. older sister right. would call their <laughs> younger brother over and over again. And this, the description totally of valid. their family uh, dinner yeah. and how yeah. dinner interactions are at family dinner. It was just perfect. It's like, yes, mm-hmm. these people are actually siblings. They have truly lived their life together and lived together as a family. Yeah. yeah. I've totally thrown a loaf of bread at my younger brother's. Once or twice. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. And it was deserved, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> the, the look on Dream's face when she does yeah. it too is perfect. I'm so I was like, so I was so really happy. I was so happy that they included that, right? Because like one of the favorite panels from the comics, like, yes. <laughs> Man, I wish my sister had only thrown bread at me. <laughs> well, hey, we're recording, so there's only so far I'm going to go, okay? Um... <laughs> yeah, we're recording, and things that possibly be charged for what I did toward my sister. Yeah, yeah. you know, I'm, 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 I'm just having sudden memories all of a sudden, and uh, um, I think that they explain a whole lot of my childhood trauma. <laughs> um, I, okay, for instance, uh, did anybody uh, that? Um, everybody knows what a swirly is, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. Has anybody ever known one who's gotten one? No. No. Uh, oh. No comment. Can can, can yeah. someone tell me what it is? It's when you stick somebody's head in a toilet bowl and flush it. It makes their hair swirl around. It's a swirly. Yeah. It, it's one of those things that the kids would talk about, but nobody ever did, except my sister did do it to me. Oh. And, and then when I told my mom, my mom laughed and she's like, oh, that's nice. And I'm like, do you know what a swirly is? Oh, she's like, no. no. <laughs> I told her. And then she's like, send your sister up here right now. <laughs> it's like, isn't that nice? Your sister actually gave you something. Yeah. Oh, your sister's playing with you. Isn't that nice? Yeah. And I kid about that being the source of my trauma. The, me and my sister have a fine relationship. That, that had nothing to do with it, but that really was gross. <laughs> Well, there's also a difference between relationships now and relationships back then. My sister and I have a fine relationship now, but there are splinters on the door. Oh, oh, yeah. Times that she would do something to me and then hide in the room, (laughs) and I'd try to kick in the door. Yeah, I I was the younger one in the equation by four years, so I was the one on the receiving end of all of the the physical. (laughs) Oh, I, I was younger too. I just was a bit of a beast. Oh. Aren't we all as small children? Uh, yeah. yeah. No. Pretty much I was an angel. wild animals. I was an angel. <laughs> <laughs> I was also the oldest, though. So I was like more like kind of. Oh, there's much, no way you were the angel much, if you were the oldest. I was much, much older. And yeah. Everybody knows that it's the baby who's the angel. Of course. Absolutely. Yeah. No angel. <laughs> says all the ba- says all the youngest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
bad uh, dream. But, yeah. <laughs> Away from our family dynamics and back into their family dynamics. Well, do they have a, actually, out of curiosity, is there a hierarchy to their yes. ages, quote yes. unquote? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So is death the older sister? So it's destiny, death, dream, destruction, um, desire and uh, despair are twins. And then the youngest is delirium. Did I miss someone out? I don't think so. I think you go. Yeah. Yeah. I find it interesting that as um, death, she is the second oldest. She is definitely the most powerful, but mm. also the one who is the most kind yeah. and compassionate. Yeah. They, yeah. I think that really works in the hierarchy of the family. The 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 strong, the, the most powerful one is also the most compassionate one. But yeah, there's also something makes... to the fact that she is also she's there when every human being arrives. And she's there when every human being leaves. Like all of creation, she's there for the beginning and the end of every element. Mm. And that requires so much power and maturity, I think, to be able to hold that. Mm-hmm. And the, the compassion aspect of it is probably why in the first place that they didn't go with a male characterization. You know, you think of death as a male uh, would tend to be more aggressive uh but there there's a real gentleness and a compassion i i just see a tall bald swede in a in a black cloak. <laughs> no that's that that's only if you're going to be playing chess uh this is actual death there's a difference what about uh, twister <laughs> what's that Can we play twister instead i don't know how twister would work with a cloak or a robe we have how many representations of death that are that fierce man with the Sith yeah. and the scythe, and he's just there to take you out and collect your soul. Like, yeah, but that's what G- Gaiman was playing with, right? Yep. This is what he flipped. So this is the expectations yeah, that yeah, we yeah, have. As I was mentioning, still capturing the joy of the embrace of death while also giving the heartstring tug, like with the baby or with the the uh, the the newlywed that is like he just wanted to give her the code to his phone like all of those moments were little like just little tugs at your heartstring well it it was both sides of it right because they they pulled on the sadness but then when uh death is having her big monologue and and you get the swell and the music you move towards the she goes to the the um or the the death home and takes away the pain of the patient yeah. mm-hmm. and then she goes into the field with the drug addict and you can just see the the relief and joy on this drug addict's face of mm-hmm. oh finally you've taken away my pain yeah. and so it was it was both sides of it because they moved from that severe sadness of taking this man away from his bride and taking this child who's only lived for oh, but months. her conversation with the baby even Mm-hmm. I know it's not oh. been long, but that's all you get. And I really yeah. love how they didn't try to do the baby's voice because in the comics, obviously, you, you get the bubble. The baby says, is right. that all I get? And here you only get one side of the conversation, which I thought was beautifully done because yeah. yeah. it would have mm-hmm. been really weird. Mm-hmm. Like, I just don't think there's any way they could have done justice. Yeah, to we don't need look who's talking endless edition. Yeah, and it was, right. Yeah. 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 right. So that was, that was really not- beautifully done, I think. 
not too much focused on the pain of the people that were left behind too because that's usually where death goes and that's usually where the hurt is mm -hmm. but this was very very careful to not show that hurt so that you could just focus on those that were being taken away but that's the point right. though isn't it because death's death's relationship is with the person that she's taking it's not about those who are left behind and yeah, i think that that's where that's where the beauty and the hope yeah the beauty and the hope remains in here we go to the next the next journey right and so taking mm -hmm. the hand and moving on and again you know the same as the comics i love how we only see the shadow of her wings yeah so it's left to your imagination about what that you know metaphysically or whatever how that how that happens how that works yeah, yeah. well the title of the the comic is the sound of her wings so well yeah. and they they give you the sound it's very yes. specific yes and really like huge as well, right? The shadow is huge, like really encompassing to think that you've been enfolded mm -hmm. in these wings and you've been taken to the you know, to the next whatever it is. Um I also really loved um I noticed it. I can't I haven't I should have pulled out that comic, um, but I didn't. So when she takes the uh the, the first uh, the older man, the Jewish man, um and he says, Oh, you know, give me a moment to say the Shema. And I never realized this before. The Shema is really, uh, the Jewish Shema, the, the saying it at the you know, um, during your life, but also at the end, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. It's really similar to the Islamic Kalima that we say all the time and try to say before we die, there is nothing but the one God. And I really, I yeah. just, it struck me when I watched it. I was like, oh, hang on, that's really similar stuff. I love that connection, actually. So. It's right. it's almost like those religions share a root. I know, right. crazy, huh? Crazy. Yeah, I have that page up here. I have that page up here, and what he says uh, in the English part of it, at least, because I'm not going to attempt to do Hebrew, is "Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one." Yeah, basically the same. <laughs> so Hebrew, Arabic, yep. yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and I, I thought it was interesting that they played with whether or not he actually believes in heaven yeah because he never he never says whether or not he believes in heaven and what's mm -hmm. gonna happen to him after this because he asks what's what's next yeah so i'm dead now what mm. and now's when you find out yeah so the other thing that i had made a note about we might talked earlier about um dream getting a bit hard and brittle so death mentions that there was a point where she was getting hard and brittle and she had to go through this whole process of remembering what her function is that she's you know serving and we get we do see a version of that death in the comics which is like one of i keep saying one of my favorite stories so like all my favorite stories probably but um so again you get this death empathizing with dream to say that this is also normal what you're going through is normal because we are you know beings of eternity and we can't just keep you know, maybe it's even impossible for us to keep just doing what we're doing on a plateau. We're going to have these ups and downs and that's okay. And again, that compassion, you know, of like saying, yep, we, we all have these ups and downs and we, we might mess up sometimes, but noticing that when you, when you start to get hard and brittle, that those are the warning signs that we need to check in with this and see what to do. And he, he, he knows, right? He, he calls out for her and she helps him. Well, I think that's part of why she, 
encourages him to go visit Hob too, is because Hob is kind of his window into eternity. Yeah. Like, what what's it like to be an internal being? So before we move on to Hob, uh, I just want to, if there's anything else you guys want to bring up about this story, but I love the final scene before it transitions into the Hob story, is that after Dreams uh, said goodbye to death, he's walking down an alleyway, alleyway and a man's coming out of a shop and uh, Dream tries to smile at him and he just scares him instead and he's just like, oh, I'm, yeah. not gonna, I'm not even going to bother trying to smile at these humans. <laughs> it was perfect. <laughs> like he's yeah. trying and then he's like, damn, I failed. Okay, fine. I'll go back to being solo. <laughs> um, I, yeah, before we move on, I actually, I want to take a minute and, and uh, just talk about Cinnamon because uh, um, she, she meant a lot to a lot of people and, and I love that this character has meant a lot to a lot of people also. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know about the genesis of her being death. I think if I remember correctly, it's something along the lines of Neil Gaiman wrote the character and wanted her to be sparkly and bubbly, but didn't necessarily have a, a description nailed down. And when Mark drink or Mike Drinkenberg, the artist, um, got the description, he was like, Oh, there's this girl in the scene that I know who is just like that. She's bubbly and sparkly and, and, and very you know, nice to everybody. And just, you know, I'm, I'll base it on her, you know? And, and like I said, I don't know that that's definitely the story. That's kind of how I've always read the kind of absorbed that the story is. Um, and so he based, based it on her Gaiman said, yeah, yeah, that looks great. Let's go with it. And, and, you know, everybody in the local scene could definitely see that death was, was cinnamon. And I didn't know her at the time. Um, when, when the, the stories were coming out, she actually moved away from town around the same time I moved to town, but then she came back later. And by later, I mean like, I don't know, 15 years later. Um, but, uh, the, the goth scene was still going strong and we were still part of it. And so was she. And, and, uh, we, we got to know her and, and, she was still the same, same bubbly, sparkly person. She was amazing. Um, she was, she was tall. She was so tall, like at least six feet. I think she was, it, it, especially with the heels. She always wore, she was tall, 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 tall and skinny. So skinny as a rail. And, and just, I don't know, but by the time I knew her, she was just this, this tall goth queen, you know, mm -hmm. um, she had these, these, long dread falls of hair and and yeah she was just she was an amazing person um my my spouse madeline actually was much closer to her than i was uh, and she actually did an interview with her for one of our local uh, independent news magazine type things uh i think we'll we'll put a, a link to that in the show notes um she did an, in, an interview with her and gets to know her as both you know what how how being death kind of affected her and also just gets into her story because you know she has her own story as well she's not just death um you know she was a tattoo artist she 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 was an amazing person always deeply involved in the scene um an amazing artist amazing person all around uh, uh some of her closest friends are some of my closest friends it, it, you know it it's she was she was a, a very amazing person i guess i i can't I, I keep using the same terms but i i can't you know she's she was a great person and and she 
unfortunately she passed uh, several years back. Uh, she she died of cancer. Um, fuck cancer. Fuck cancer. Fuck cancer. Absolutely. <clears throat> um, and and she had an, an amazing amazing uh, service. Um, ama- the, a lot of us gathered and and celebrated her and and honestly we we did celebrate her it, it was not a sad event it was it was a celebration and and much in the same way that it is that that she celebrates the people in the show when when she, when when you know when death cel- takes somebody in the show she celebrates them she doesn't just oh it's time to go she's like it's time to go and you were a very good boy you know mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> you were the best and and yeah so i i just wanted to I don't know, babble for a minute about my friend because she was important to me and important to a lot of people. And, and I thought it would be appropriate to, to memorialize her at this point. So mm. thank you for sharing that. Remark. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and out of all of this, I can say uh, with, with absolute uh, a straight face, I've been to death's funeral. Mm. <laughs> so <laughs> and, and, and trust me, she would have loved that joke. So, yeah. Well, if anyone's going to have a fun funeral, it's going to be death, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Right. I um, yeah. I just want to say, I, it just hit me, just as you were speaking, that I probably read those interviews because while I wasn't part of the Wheel of Time fandom until a couple of years ago when I came to the Facebook group that you moderated, when I was at university, the first kind of going onto the internet was Sandman. Like I was reading everything about Sandman, the characters, the artists, the the fan fiction. I I like absorbed all of it, and I just as you were speaking, I thought, my goodness. So I probably read those interviews. Like I have vague memories of knowing about Cinnamon that she inspired death. Right, I read everything that was out there, and I just was thinking, wow, I'm now doing a podcast with somebody who was friends with Cinnamon. That I was like, this, is, <laughs> this is so crazy. I love it. What an amazing amazing universe and married to the person who wrote the article that you saw yes yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, who would have thunk it you know i kind of like to imagine in my head the concept of when death came for cinnamon that death presented as cinnamon <laughs> so cinnamon cinnamon <laughs> i hope so yeah and then they both had a good I, I, I think if that had happened, that Cinnamon would have looked at Death and been like, you're a shtick. <laughs> <laughs> it looks so much better on me. <laughs> hey, well, who knows? It could have been, you know, Kirby Powell, uh, you know, the actress who actually, uh, Kirby Powell Baptiste, who played her in, in the oh. series. Oh, and Cinnamon would be like, oh, oh that's what you're going to look like? Awesome. <laughs> I approve. <laughs> I dig it. This is what's going to have the adaptation. Sweet. All right. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I loved you in the good place. Um, <laughs> oh, bless you, Cinnamon. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Yes. yes. Okay, you wanted to move on to something else. <laughs> <laughs> on to Hop Gadling. Yay. Yay. I loved this story so much in the comics, and they just they brought it to to life terrifically um there were so many little things of the the more things change the more they remain the same the the vicar joke throughout the ages 
Uh, the, the complaining about the poll tax. Yes, <laughs> complaining about the taxes. Uh, I'm telling you, I'm, t- I'm, I'm serious. You go to any local pub in England, it's the same conversation. It's still happening, okay? Right, it's just been happening for 700 years. So. Yeah. <laughs> I loved that. Well, and even touching on some of the atrocities that had passed on that Hobbes at one point was making money from. Right. Yes. yes. Well, I think it's very clear that Hobbes is not meant to be an exemplary human no. being. I mean, the first time they meet after the first hundred years, he says, oh, yeah, I did a little bit of banditry. I, you know, it's a mm. mercenary. He was involved in the slave trade. He didn't get endless life because he was a good person. But he learns. He learns from it. Right. And I think that's yeah. the yeah. reason why death encouraged dreams experiment, because death knows everyone but no this could be an interesting one interesting challenge for 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 dream here that he goes through all this and one of my favorite lines was um when dream says to hob it's a poor thing for one man to enslave another and then i just put dum 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 yes that's gonna be coming around back to dream but so you're saying some horrible people on this world will just take 200 300 years to shape up and be good people which, which was the premise of the good place. It's true. Yes, it yes. was. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> exactly. that is true. But with Hob, we don't know. Maybe it was straight after his meeting with Dream that he was like, actually, yeah, I, sh- I need to. Like, I like, that's what I like to think. I like to think that straight after the meeting, he decided to go in a different direction. Yeah, and and it did, it did ruin him it did. for a short time. Mm-hmm. It did. So one of the things I found that was really interesting is... In the first couple of hundred years where he's doing okay, Dream's not super interested in him, especially at the point at which he's at his his best. You know, he's saying, oh, yeah, I made all this money. I'm so rich. I have, a, I have a son. You know, everything's going great. Dream's not super interested in him. He ends up wandering off to go make a deal with Shakespeare. But the one <laughs> that really intrigues Dream is when he's lost everything, mm-hmm. when he's broke when he's starving when he's dressed in rags Mm -hmm. then dream is like now do you want death and when hub says still a mugs game are you kidding that's the point at which dream becomes really fascinated by this person because he hit the absolute bottom of the barrel and he's not ready to give up yet yeah but that's that's because uh, dream is just a huge drama queen he doesn't like him. He's not. He's not interested. He's not interested in anything unless it's like you know, like heavy drama, melancholy. You know, wind blowing through his cape type of background. If things are going well, and, and I really like that scene as well because Hobbs trying really hard to impress Dream. He's like, yeah, you know, eat what you want, have with the best ale, and everything's going great. And Dream's just looking over at Will Shakespeare as he apparently was known back then. So I thought, yeah. I like that. But yeah, Dream is tall. He's tall. But, and it it makes the end of the story so much more powerful because Dream doesn't realize he's making a friend through mm-hmm. this process. Right. He doesn't see, even fathom it until after he's been imprisoned and realizes he's lonely. Mm-hmm. Like, you oh, see I really do have a friend. Him, mm-hmm. Yeah. I even offended there it to concept. There is so much fan fiction out there written about those two. Yeah. I gotta tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So much. I, I just I just have to ask DW what he thinks the, the deal was that Shakespeare you know, <laughs> figured out to, to, to become Shakespeare. Well, here's the thing. You know, people like Desire or any of them approach somebody. But when somebody's a writer and Dream approaches you, 
if you have the ability to write things that will will enhance or affect people's dreams, that seems to me to be the genuine that's a superpower like, key into writing because that's what you're trying to capture or be able to write down the things in your dreams. Well, but see, that's actually something that already is very common. Like uh, I know a lot of writers who have dream journals and stories that have come out of their dreams. And yeah, it might not be as clear as if dreams telling him, but I felt there was more like, I'm going to give you a tap line and you're going to be able to see what the world is dreaming. And from those shape, those Mm -hmm. dreams and make stories that are going to build those dreams. It, it was a way for dream to create waking dreams. It, it was it was explicit that it w- had to inspire the dreams of others for centuries yeah. mm-hmm. and be lasting. Yeah. And universal. Yeah. If that if that opportunity came my way, I'd say yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, there is an episode or an issue of the comics later on where that kind of gets. Uh, we find out what happened. Y- yeah, we find we do find out. Uh, what's what's going on? And uh, no spoilers. <laughs> no, 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 no spoilers. But it's there, and I, I really hope we get to that in the the TV show because I, I would love to see that. I think we will because otherwise, I don't think they would have shown this little aside that dream that, that dream makes this. I don't know. It's 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 kind of an Easter egg sort mm. of thing if you you know mm. because they don't get to it until That's you know true. a couple of years later in the in the comics. Yeah, I was going to say they didn't even have a, a second season in the can when they did this. So yeah, but I'm sure they're they were just setting it they'll up be, in the whole. Right? And I can yeah. imagine it being, I can imagine a future mid season episode being this follow up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, one yeah. of the standalones. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope so because the line of nothing quite so crude was just super intriguing to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's not a deal for the soul, it's something else, but what is it? Well, I'm I'm going to make a wild guess here and say that there are probably several issues of the comic that are prob- like standalone or 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 even kind of uh, uh, collections of short stories or something. Am I correct in assuming that? Yes, there oh, yeah. there are a lot of bottle uh, bottle issues. I guess. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, yeah. So I from that I'm hoping that they kind of continue what they did with the uh, with. Calliope in the cat episode and just right. kind of There's so many you know sprinkle sprinkle them out here and there just as as little whistle wetters you know you don't like the Calliope episode you don't even need any of your main cast have a few of those sprinkled in to keep keep interest going and then yeah I, yeah when, I, when when I heard that they were going to do the Dream of a Thousand Cats because that one shows up right after the Dollhouse episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, very much like, like this. And it is totally bottle, totally standalone. And I'm like, man, would they, would they do this? And how would they do it? And they did a fantastic job and we'll eventually yeah. get to that. But yes, we will. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I want to say without being spoilery at all is that the bottle episodes that you think are just bottle episodes sometimes end up being really important to the main story. Being set up for something yeah. yes. later down the and line. And I love, I love how yes. they're doing that because Anyway, that's all I'll say. <laughs> almost, it's it's almost like a wheel of time prologue in that Ooh. way, in that yeah. they drop a prologue on you and then it doesn't pay off till three books later. The first collection of uh, of the books is what previews and prologues or uh Yeah. 
It's got prologue in the, the title. I need to, mm. to Preludes and Nocturnes. Preludes and Nocturnes. Yes, yeah. that's it. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, and so that this is where we also get um, Ancestor Constantine popping out. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. which, I thought mm-hmm. was, which I thought was really well done. Yep. And I thought... The, the second time I watched it, I, I got like, oh man, they are totally making this look like she's uh, immortal and it's... Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I I definitely got that feel from it as well. And I think I mentioned it earlier, due to her her relationship to the Doctor Who Who universe, when you see her like that, it just automatically clicks. Oh yeah, she's either jumping around in time or or timeless. You know? Well, and her jumping right out and asking for immortality or demanding immortality yeah. from him doesn't help either. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't think about it that way. And yeah, you're and right. He does say that he meets her again later so you don't know that he hasn't I, I so i knew that she was two different people just because i have read the comics but i could see how yes. to a new person it would be very confusing yeah when he says yes, that she did a mission that was she did something up. for me and she was quite good at it yeah right uh, in the in the comics uh the constantine character is a woman so um so this is where the joanna yeah so this is the real does this is the comic joanna. The yeah. Yeah. okay yeah yeah and they just replaced john oh so joanna must have been made up for sandman which is why they were able to use her yeah. interesting yes. yes so joanna yeah. is made is gaiman's made up ancestor of john gotcha i i mean i knew of the existence of joanna constantine i just did not know it was that she was made up in sandman and and made by neil gaiman that's right huh you learn something new every day <laughs> But and that that interaction gives us a little bit more with Dream and, and Hob too, because you have that moment where Hob finally realizes that Dream is a more powerful thing than he understands. He's not just a demon. He's not me a demon. Yeah, right. He's bigger than that. Yeah. And also that really oh, sweet you, moment. You don't need to defend me. <laughs> yeah, that's a really sweet moment, yeah. right? Where like you get that. Like, I just think Tom's storage is so good. You get that glance, that look. There you go. Obligatory <laughs> <John>. Constantine. <laughs> <laughs> but you get that really sweet moment of uh, Dream being touched by the fact that Hob tried to put himself between them, right? To protect him. And it's like, you don't you don't need to do that. But yeah, hmm. he's not going to say thank and, you. And Dream <laughs> l- later, you know, has that compassion of, I know you're immortal. But you can be hurt, you can mm. be tortured, you can be taken to the edge. There's worse things than death, dying. basically. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I have a question about Hob at the end. Right. So after everything that he's gone through, right, all these like centuries of living. I think he becomes a teacher. Like he looked like he was grading papers on the table. Mm-hmm. That, is, that was what I thought right? when okay, I saw good. him yeah. sitting there. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't get that. that a history professor. A <laughs> I, I also think and he owns the in, bar. And an inn owner. Yes, yes, DW. That was what I got, is he bought that inn, mm-hmm. and he wrote the the new inn, yes. Arrows. Yes, yes. Because he was still hoping, again, back to hope, he was still hoping mm-hmm. that Dream would show yep. up. Yeah. I agree. Right. Well, you're not going to give up just because he's missed one meeting after all those years, you know? And also, I really love the fact that when the inn was being uh, uh, being going to be knocked down, he's got that whole 80s uh, banker, slicked back hair, right. you know? Yeah. 
Oh yeah, the, <laughs> I love um, the, the Miami Vice. Work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which is like, oh yeah, I have money now, and I'm gonna buy this. Okay. <laughs> well, and we know he's got it because by the he's dealing in cocaine. <laughs> 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 Going back to that idea that he's not always an honorable actor. This is true. It's yeah, true. and a history class is a great way to sell your cocaine. I mean. Have <laughs> <laughs> you been a university student? I can concur. <laughs> We've just created a really dark future for Hob. <laughs> I want to think about him being in service. Like he's become a he's become a teacher because he realizes that he can give something back now that he's immortal. Right. So I'm wondering what happens if he does something stupid and ends up getting like life in prison or something. Oh no. That would I think death yeah. would probably would show up just to kind of make sure nobody realizes he's immortal. <laughs> but would she? Because you know, Mad Hetty's been around for centuries and you know just looks after herself and gets in and out of scrapes, probably. And she doesn't hop say at one point that he stayed after his wife yes. and son died, he stayed too long and he was chased, he stayed he was chased too long. out. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But the but the idea of once they put can't really get chased cell, out of prison, yeah, it's hard yeah. to yeah. disappear for a while. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm not under my bed. Don't look for me down here. <laughs> I left. <laughs> I, I do also notice that he can't die. That doesn't necessarily say he has like say a mutant healing factor yeah. or something. Oh yeah, I think he could get quite horrible and painful and festering. Yeah. Well, he talked he talked well, about how awful it was being sick. And not being able to die. No, not sick. Hungry. Oh, no, yeah, hungry. That's right. Yes, that's not, it. Yeah. Not able to eat, but not able to die. Oh, God. And yeah. the amount of hunger that comes from that. That would be brutal. Well, you got to figure that at some point he also tested the boundaries of things. I'm, I'm picturing a... a uh, uh, Groundhog's Day, ground, ground montage day. <laughs> of Hob testing what can and can't kill him. <laughs> And every morning he wakes up to the sound, the right. strains of Sonny and Cher. We we need this uh, this comic, Neil. Make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> so I the wanted to come back to the relationship between uh, Dream and Hob. And Siobhan's mentioned that there's been a lot of fanfic about this during the years. But in the show, they gave it a very obvious uh, romantic overtones, not undertones, over, oh, yeah. overtones. Mm. Yeah, they they were there. Yeah, and I and I kind of like I see this from both Flirting perspectives, right? So on one hand, like I like the fact that they've done this because then they're kind of like Dream should have you know relationships with everything in existence because Dream is Dream, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, I also think it's really important that Dream has just platonic relationships for his growth. Like he has a lot of relationships, but also having that that. And that's in the comics, that's how I read it, that Hob was this platonic connection to the world, whereas he had mm. lovers, you know, and again, dream. He's a drama queen. It always ends up in, you know, something mass drama yeah. breakup thing. Your ex winds up in hell, that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, or you, you put your ex in hell um, and then forget about or try to forget about her. But this was his connection to the world that he kind of maintains. And so, like, I like the way they've gone but i also don't i hope they don't lose that like there should be that i want there to be multiplicity of different types of relationship that that dream has and so if they just keep it like this i think i like having this is it 
like a platonic romantic relationship but really it should be about the love like you can you can you know having having loving relationships between people that isn't sexual mm-hmm. i think it's really important to represent as well yes so let's see let's Agreed. see how it goes yeah Well, I mean, there were romantic overtones. That doesn't necessarily mean sexual overtones. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I hope they keep it romantic. And, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And okay, also, yeah. I just want to say... Um, they are the one consistent factor in each other's lives. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's really you know? important. And I just want to say Ferdinand Kingsley, who plays Hob, so good. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, I, I, I was actually shocked by how touched I was by that story. Um I thought it was just going to turn out to be, you know, the the typical type of story like that, where the the person who lives forever eventually is like, "This is torture. Mm. Bring me the end." And and it went in a very different direction. I enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and then he, just the end where <clears throat> Dream admits that he's his friend, but does it in such a a dream way of not actually yeah. coming out and saying it. <laughs> yes. Yes. Very well. That's so dream. <laughs> and you see the relief in Hobbs' face, like, phew. It's like, I didn't cause this. Yeah. And my, my spat that I caused a hundred years ago hasn't ruined this well, for us. Well, because and you know, really, you're not friends until you've had a spat. True. You know, it's not real friendship true, until truth. you get to that point. Yeah. So. There, there's also an aspect of you know, imagine what you can live through. Imagine if every one of your nights, what it would be like if Dream was pissed off at you. <laughs> oh, God. Every time you go to bed, Dream gets to mess with you. Like, that. that's... I think that might be worse than being hungry and unable to eat. <laughs> well, it's interesting you say that, DW, because isn't that where Alex ends up? Alex is in a never Alex waking Burgess, nightmare yeah yeah that's what dream mm-hmm. does to him yeah mm. but it's kind of also what he does to the the serial killers in the next story also in essence yeah that's a waking nightmare yeah they like they're faced forced to see what they've done yeah yeah well, it's, it's yeah. kind of that weird aspect that it gets addressed in some stories but when somebody of of mortal or human because we are talking immortal but of that that station of of human befriends a god and there's always that point where like yeah but we're buddies right and there's that reminder that you're nowhere near as powerful as i am i need you to stop thinking that you just get to treat me as an equal but in this one we got a bit of no i am going to treat you as an equal which was nice mm-hmm. yeah okay i can't i can't Ugh. i can't uh I can't say anything more about Hob without giving walking into a spoiler. Like every, I, I keep thinking about yeah. saying something. It's like, nope, that hasn't happened yet. That hasn't happened yet. <laughs> well, I think that that's probably a good, uh, good point for us to to walk out of this episode. Then walk I think. out before uh, spoilers happen. And with that, I think we're going to put a pin in this episode. Uh, we want to, as always, say thank you to Michael and Jen out at the Secret Watch Party Island headquarters. Thank you, Michael and Jen. Thank you, thank you, Michael, thank you Michael and Jen. And Jen. Thank you, Michael and Jen. <laughs> and uh, we also want to point you towards our social media. Uh, you can find us at Watt Watch Party on Twitter, WattWatchParty at gmail.com if you want to send us Gmail, uh, email, Gmail, g- g- Q mail. <laughs> I don't care what mail. Just send us some mail. Yeah, uh, mail, we have, hot mail. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. We, we haven't had any uh, fan mail in a long time. So that's what we want is the fan mail. 
the fan mail through Feed the Gmail. Feed our egos. Yes. yes. <laughs> Give it to me, baby. Feed our fevered egos. Um, yeah, we also haven't had a new review for a while. So uh, if you've been listening to us and you enjoy us, and especially if you feel like you're you're part of the family, part of the community, leave a review for us uh, over at, on on iTunes. Uh, we, we, we could use a few more of those. Help us get up in the rankings. Um, and also be sure to join us on our discord. We've got our discord server up and running and, uh, you can actually watch these episodes as they're being recorded. If you join the discord server, um, lots of other fun stuff's going to be coming up there as well. Keep a lookout for that in the future. If you need any information on any of that stuff, just go to whatwatchparty.com. That's whatwatchparty.com and they'll have links to everything I just talked about. Uh, and enough of all that. Now, final question for the panel. How would you spend your immortality? What would you do? Start walking. (laughs) 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 Not only does he not die, he also appears not to age. I want to see everything. I just start walking, just keep going. There's a big wide world out there. Yeah. Do a lot more reading. I would start a podcast where I dive deep into the Wheel of Time and it would be spoiler filled. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No limits. (laughs) Bring on the death threats. I don't care. Uh, Everybody (laughs) dies. I love the idea of the way. (laughs) I kind of love the the idea of the of the the way that it was handled in uh, in the Eternals film with uh, Camille Nanjiani's character. Where with Kingo, where he was <laughs> basically a Bollywood star and just you know would go out and come back as his own son, uh, <laughs> just build upon, build upon the family fortune and everything. It's uh, I, I I love that. Okay, love Greg, that, that now I need to see your Bollywood moves. Come on, bust it out. Oh no 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 no! I'm not saying Bollywood. <laughs> That's what I want to see. I want to see the Bollywood. No, 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 no. no. I'd be like, I'd be like a Cassavetes, like indie film. uh, Greg, 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 you're immortal. You've got eternity. You've got. You can do Bollywood too. You can figure (laughs) out the Bollywood thing. (laughs) Yeah, you can get there. You've got time. You've got. You've got all the time in the world, buddy. Do I get new knees? That's what I need to know. I would need to have new knees. If you live, well, I mean, you stick around long enough, and you'll have robotic knees. I'm sure. But of course, at that point, it's going to be harder to hide that you're immortal because when you go to, you know, replace your robotic knees and they're like, wow, these robotic knees are like 300 years old. This is, this is like ancient technology. Secondhand. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Take them up in the pawn shop. <laughs> pawn shop knees. I like it. Uh, myself, I think I would uh, spend the rest of eternity figuring out exactly how many tacos I can eat. That would be infinite. In, in eternity or in an hour? <laughs> With the time that I have. Yes. I want to get the high score. Got it. I, I want to get the high score. The, sooner or later. Infinite tacos. You do. Uh, uh, no. In, infinite, li- infinite life uh, outlasts the, the earth. So. Hey, who said uh, Unless I can find tacos. space tacos somewhere. Space tacos. There's space tacos. Okay, as long as, as, long as there's space tacos, we're all good. Hey, all if right, you go yeah. to space, you can make space tacos. <laughs> you could be the one who brings the tacos, tacos to the universe. To the universe. I would be like a god. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a taco.
Taco God, Johnny Appleseed of tacos, 